This episode of the Women Encouraged podcast is brought to you by Hope Writers. You have words of hope. Hope Writers wants to help you share them. Find out more at hopewriters.com slash womenencouraged. Welcome to the Women Encouraged podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friend. I'm so glad you're back with us for another conversation. Today, I'm sharing a discussion I had with Megan Hill, author of several books, including the one related to what we're talking about today, A Place to Belong, Learning to Love the Local Church. Megan and I had this conversation at a time when most people were going to church on Sunday. But as we air this episode, of course, we're in the middle of COVID restrictions on worship gatherings, so most of you aren't able to meet with your local body of believers every week. As I re-listened to this conversation, preparing to share it with you, I was reminded how much I miss worshiping on a weekly basis with the body of Christ. If you're like me and you're missing your people terribly, this may feel like a tender topic to you. I have to say, though, this conversation is genuinely one of my favorites, and I'm praying it stirs your affections for Christ and for the privilege of meeting with other members of His body and growing in fellowship with them. Let's get started with my conversation with Megan Hill. Megan Hill, thank you so much for joining me today for the Women Encouraged podcast. It's a delight to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Bethany. Would you give us a little introduction to your life and uh, who you are, what the kind of work that you do, et cetera? Yeah. So I am a pastor's wife um, of a PCA church. I have four children. Um, we live in Massachusetts uh, in the United States. I work as an editor for the Gospel Coalition, and I also do my own writing projects. I have three books. One is about corporate prayer. It's called Praying Together. Another one is a devotional on contentment. That's called Contentment. And then the book that we're going to be discussing today, which is about loving the local church. That's called A Place to Belong. I'm so thankful I got to have a sneak peek at this book because Crossway sent me an advanced copy. And it's just the most fun because I really enjoyed reading this. And I'm really excited to get to share this with our listeners. It occurred to me while I was reading this that the people who will pick this up are going to fall on a wide spectrum of spiritual need. But there's no person who's going to read this book and say, well, duh, (laughs) you know, like, of course. Um, But it really does move the the reader to consider their place in God's family and in among his people and um, what the local church is for. So I'm very thankful for this book, Megan. Um, would you talk about why you wrote the book? What is what was the thing that kind of was the catalyst maybe that that drew you to this topic? I think probably, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you pointed out sort of that readers will fall on a variety of spectrums. And I think you're right. I think some people are going to read this book who are new to the church or who are sort of disillusioned with the church and are just kind of wanting to 
to, to learn more or to figure out what church is all about. And then I think you're going to have other people who are longtime members of their churches and are pretty committed to the church. But um, and that's probably my story that I have been part of the church all of my life. And so it's always been uh, the people of God have always been my people. But even so, I find that I have days just like everyone else where I think, is this really worth it? You know, Sunday morning, kids are running around like crazy, um, you know, trying to get everybody to go to church. We get there. People are sometimes sort of awkward. It's not very exciting. The worship service is just kind of the same as it is every Sunday. I don't necessarily feel this great moment of revelation or blessing when I go. And, you know, we all have those Sundays where we think, is this, is this really worth it? You know, my neighbors are out at the pool. What, why am I doing this? And I think it's good for us, all of us, no matter where we fall in that spectrum you mentioned, to be reminded, the Lord says, this is good for me. The mm. Lord says, this is where he's going to meet with me. The Lord says, this is where Christ is revealed. And for us just to meditate on that. And I think, you know, as I was writing this book, if you asked me before I started writing it, you know, do you know about the church? I probably would have said, yeah, I mean, I've been in the church for nearly four decades now. You know, I know a little bit about the church. And yet, as I dug into the scriptures and finding out what the Lord said, I kept finding these new things that I had never thought about before about the glory of the church and the blessing of the church. Mm. I think everybody does at some point. I mean, there's probably a few people who really don't ever struggle with this, but thinking like, why, what is the point, you know? Why do you think maybe that it is that so many people struggle with misunderstanding the purpose of local church? I think there's just, I I encounter this all the time where people feel like it's no big deal if they don't go to church. Why is that? What's going on there? I think that we at heart are often motivated and focused on the things that we can see, the things that are tangible, the things in our lives that are quantifiable. You know, uh, Jesus says, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? That's what the pagans run after. And I think that's kind of where all of our hearts are kind of inclined to these temporal, physical things of our life, you know, getting the groceries and getting Mm. to work and what the number in the bank account is and whatever. And the church on sort of a tangible level, the level that we can see and experience and feel is sometimes not that exciting. It's a bunch of ordinary people that get together every week and they do the same things every week. And there's some really awkward people and there's some, you know, sort of conflicts in relationships or hard times in the church. And so on the level that we can see, the church doesn't always look that valuable. And that's really why I wrote this book was to sort of dig into the unseen places, what God says is true about the church. What's what's the truth that's under this thing that I can see? What's this truth that's in the spiritual realm that that God is proclaiming is valuable and actually vital to my spiritual growth, even though it might look pretty ordinary and boring on the surface? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit on something that's so important there. And it's really reflected throughout the book. And that is that it's our Bible literacy, ultimately, that leads us to um, to see the church rightly. And the scriptural basis of what the church is for, I think, has been really lost. And I think that's the thing that I was kind of coming away from this book with was like, you know, if people 
who are struggling with wondering about their place in the church as an individual, if they were to look in the scripture for the purpose of finding it, what does God say? I think they're going to really find the truth there because um, you just do such a great job of highlighting it throughout the book. Like this is what God says about his people from, you know, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, We just get a really good look at it through this book. So it's, it's, I'm so thankful for it. So start us off with what do we need to know and believe in order to begin loving the local church and the people that God loves? Yeah, I think you're right. I think we start with the fact that God loves these people, you know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God made the first church, as it were, you know, um, and he created Adam and Eve and they were his people and he put them together. He didn't just make one person. He made two people together in this communion together. And we often read the first chapters of Genesis and we think, oh, that's about marriage and family. And I, I think it's legitimate to think that it's about marriage and family, but it's also about the church. And it's about God making people for his glory and then putting them together for his glory and setting his love on them. Then, you know, when they fall into sin, promising to redeem them by a redeemer. And we have all of that just in the first few chapters of the Bible that, that God has this people that he loves. And then of course, you know, throughout the old Testament, then we see as he deals with the nation of Israel, you know, this is his corporate, his, you know, corporate comes from the Latin word for body. So this is his gathered not like a business, but like a body, right? So his corporate people, his gathered people, we see in the people of Israel and that he's gathering them together and that he's setting his love on them and that the pagan nations all around would have said, oh, those are the people that God loves. Those are the people that the God of Israel dwells with. He makes his home with them in the tabernacle. He speaks to them by his prophets. Those are the people he loves. Well, then we don't, lose that when we get to the New Testament, right? God is still gathering his people and expressing his love for them. Even in the New Testament, we just call it the local church now. But these are the people that God has gathered together. And they're the people he speaks to in the preaching of the word. They're the people that he redeems by his son. You know, they're the people that he accepts worship from as we come to worship him. And so we then have this opportunity to love the people that God loves. And isn't that what we all want to do, right? Is to love what God loves. And one of the chief things that God loves is his people. And where do we find his people? Well, it's in our local church, wherever that may be. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I think I think you kind of hit on this, but just um, for a lot of us, in the church, you know, we may never have heard, somebody listening to this may never have heard this idea that God's people started way back in the garden. Yeah. That, um, you know, because a lot of, I would say a lot of maybe modern evangelical Christians are going to think that the church started in Acts and that's the very beginning of God's people. But when you realize that all through like the scope of scripture is, is God getting his people ready for himself. And, um, and that's really where we find ourselves today. And in, in our place in that story is today, 2020, the local church. And I really love how David Helm in the children's book, you know, the, the big picture story Bible, I love how he consistently throughout that book 
talks about God's people and God's place, you know, under his rule. And I think that that like if if you are listening to this and you're struggling with like, what does the Bible actually say? And you want to take a really fast look at kind of the big picture story of scripture. That's a great way to start. If you just want a super elementary introduction to that, that's a really good way to start thinking about what Megan was just saying here. So we are we live in such interesting times. You know, the internet connects us in ways that are, you know, my parents' generation never experienced. You know, I'm I I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my late 30s and now I'm in this time where I can remember time before the internet and I know the time that my kids are growing up now is totally different. And so we've got generations, we've got technology that changes us. Um, we have so much diversity within um, the church that is reflected depending on your particular culture. It might look one way or another. Where do we find our unity as believers in Christ that are sometimes so vastly different? Yeah, I think that's a great point that you make about um, sort of to how technology changes our thoughts of what people we should relate to or have you know, what kinds of people we want to seek out. Because in a social media world, it's very easy to find a bunch of people who are exactly like you, or maybe not exactly like you, but who share various common interests or a different life stage or, you know, yeah. I'm in Facebook groups for writers and Facebook groups for moms of young children and Facebook, you know, and yeah. um, all of these people I see their posts and I think, oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm going through or that's exactly my question or whatever. You come to the local church, however, and there's a lot more diversity there. Um, There are people in all different life stages. There are people with very different interests than you or different jobs or different levels of education or whatever. And it's not the same sort of self-selecting that we can do in an online world. And I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really God's blessing to us. You know, when he describes the church as a body in 1 Corinthians, you know, we see we have all these different gifts and each one is necessary to the other. And, you know, that I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, right? Mm-hmm. We need this diversity. And then we can trust, as the Lord says in that passage, God sets the members in the body, each one as he so chooses. And so, We can trust that these people with their particular whatever, personality, interest, level of education, these are the people that God has chosen to be part of this body. He's chosen me to be part of this body. And together we can reflect something of Christ. And, um, you know, it is Christ that is the center of our unity that we, I say in the book that um, as a kid, I always grew up in the church. And um, so I don't really remember my moment of conversion of coming to Christ. And so I always felt like I had a super boring testimony that I didn't, you know, Hmm. all these other people were in prison and they were doing drugs and then Jesus called them to himself and then they left that life. And, you know, and I thought, oh, mine is not very exciting. But the longer I was in the church and the more I heard all these different stories of coming to Christ, I realized that we all have the same story right? That everyone in the church has the same story. We right. were lost and we were found. We were dead and now we're alive. We were blind and now we see. And that's all because of Christ. And so the most important thing about any of us is not our Enneagram number or the job that we do or how much money we make or where we live or our race or mm. our gender or whatever. The most important thing is that we belong to Christ. 
Friend, I am so encouraged by what Megan has to say, and I can't wait to share the rest of this conversation with you. But before we do, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, Hope Writers. Have you ever felt like you have words to share, but you don't know where to start? Have you struggled with the tension between the art of writing and the business of publishing? With the help of Hope Writers, an online community of working writers dedicated to the success and creativity of each member, you can learn how to share your words of hope with a world that desperately needs to hear them. Hope Writers take seriously the creative, social, and spiritual call to the deep work of sharing your stories and ideas with the people who need them the most. They help writers make progress by finding and following the path to sharing their words with the reader without feeling lost, discouraged, or overwhelmed. To learn more and discover which of the six stages of writing you are currently in, visit hopewriters.com slash womenencouraged to take the 30-second quiz. You have words of hope. Hope Writers wants to help you share them. The most important thing about any of us is not our Enneagram number or the job that we do or how much money we make or where we live or our race or our mm. gender or whatever. The most important thing is that we belong to Christ. Right. Amen. Amen. That's so beautiful. And that's such a, an important thing to note because we do find, like you said, all these different categories that we can put ourselves in or find Id- our identity in, but we must find our identity ultimately in Christ. And that that is such a beautiful thing. And that I totally relate to the whole like boring testimony thing. And it, that's the kind of thing we talked with our boys about from time to time, it's like, actually, you want a boring testimony, but the reality is that your story is the same as theirs, that you were dead and now you've been made alive in Christ. And the grace is just as amazing. Absolutely. I mean, you were a rebel against God and he saved you just like that other person over there was a rebel against God and he saved him. And it didn't take less grace to save me than it did, you know, the guy in my church who just got out of prison. Actually, it's the same amazing grace, really. Yes. Amen. I love that. So in terms of thinking about what church is for, and this is the conversation my husband and I have a lot of the time that, you know, we, we seem to encounter a lot of people who have an idea of what church is for that maybe we don't see the same thing reflected in scripture. Um, you know, maybe they feel like going to church is about having a worship experience, but how can we be thinking biblically about gathering for worship? I think that's a super interesting question. And I think you're right. I think, I mean, because we're human and we are sort of naturally maybe selfish, we sort of think about things in terms of ourselves and what can I get out of something? Um, How can it suit me? And worship is something that's fundamentally different than that. I mean, we worship God because he's the one that invites us to worship him. And he's the one that directs our worship. And through the scriptures, he tells us what's pleasing to him and how he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth, as Jesus says. And so when we're coming to worship, we're offering our worship to God. And so we're not thinking, um, what am I going to get out of it? We're thinking, how can I honor the Lord in this? What can mm-hmm. I bring? How can I bring my worship to the Lord in a way that is pleasing to him? And then I do think it's not, I mean, the Lord loves us and he loves what's good for us and he loves to bless us and he loves to reveal himself to us. And so it's not that by saying, I'm worshiping at the Lord's invitation, at the Lord's direction, I'm worshiping for him, not for me, 
then I'm not going to get anything out of it. In fact, the Lord who made me knows what's best for my soul. And so that coming to worship with eye to God then is also going to be what's good for my own soul. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It just is kind of encouraging to me to hear this because God receives our worship and that he's honored by it when we worship in spirit and truth. So you talk in your book about the privilege of belonging to the body of Christ and how uh, mutual dependence and unity are blessings that we can easily overlook. I was very moved by this because currently I'm just in a season of being heavily in need, I guess you could say, um, just where I need to receive. And that is a challenge for me as a prideful person. I don't like to have to receive. So that was a good thing for me to hear. But there's a lot of other ways that mutual dependence is reflected within the church. So how does remembering these truths help us to love the church? Yeah, I think the church is, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the sort of the diversity of gifts and of uh, ministries, of abilities in the church is really God's good design. And I think one part of that design is to help us even see a fuller picture of who Christ is. You know, on our own, you know, you have some gifts and you have some things that you can do. You have some amount of wisdom. Um, and I have, you know, some gifts and some wisdom. I have some things that I'm able to do. But Christ, right, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ has all of the gifts, you know, Mm. Christ is able to do all ministry. And so it's only when we come into the church and we see this person over here using these gifts and this person using theirs and me contributing mine, and then they all come together in the body that we get a full picture of even who Christ is. And we are then Christ's body when we're gathered together. And I think our need to depend on one another is part of that. I mean, I can't um, fully show forth Christ in myself, by myself. But when I come in to God's people and they can use their gifts and I can use mine, then we're all contributing to something that's bigger than ourselves. You know, I think it's important for us also to remember that the scripture, you know, the book of Galatians says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we're certainly being called there to look out for one another's needs and to care for them, to provide encouragement, to pray for them, to provide physical or financial help where it's necessary. Um, But in order for my brother to bear the burdens of others, I have to be willing for him to bear mine, right? So there's both things that have to happen here, both that we're looking out for and caring one another for one another mm, and that yeah. and that we're allowing other people to care for us and that's the way that the law of Christ is fulfilled as galatians says that's the way this picture of interdependence in the church this picture of Christ is shown forth is when we're both caring for and receiving care yeah so helpful to hear too because like i said as a prideful person, I really like to just be very independent and I don't like to need, but it's really good to remember. It's been very good for me to remember, even before I read this book, just thinking about how um, our need really puts us in a position of receiving care and allowing other members of the body of Christ to 
um, obey the Lord and to walk faithfully with him in meeting other needs. It's been very, um, it's very it was a very helpful way of thinking about it, just reading that part of your book. One of the things I feel like ties into this pretty directly is the way that our holiness and sanctification um, or this progressive journey of being made more and more like Jesus that this is a community project. And I think we don't like thinking about it like that again, because we're very, um, you, you talked about things being quantifiable. Um, we like to measure things in terms of, of ourselves a lot of the time. And so would you just share what it means for us to um, be in community and, and having the Lord grow us in these ways? What, what does that look like? Uh, what does that, what does that mean for us? Yeah. So when we're talking about sanctification, we're talking usually about the process of putting sin to death in our lives and growing in obedience and righteousness in our lives and seeking Christ more and hating our sin. And, you know, that whole process of growing in Christ likeness. And I do think that we often think of that sort of in purely individual terms that, you know, uh, it's me and I'm trying to, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm personally trying to put sin to death or to grow in righteousness in certain areas or whatever. Um, but I think the scripture presents uh, a, a picture of it being a community project. And uh, it, this New Testament uses this term mm-hmm. saints quite often for the New Testament churches. And the word saint just simply means holy ones or the ones that God has set apart to be holy. And so in the church, we have this company of saints. All of the, you know, all of the people in our church are saints. They're the holy ones that God has set apart and that he is making them holy. Um, You know, the uh, Ephesians talks about sort of the purpose of Christ's coming was to present a bride, to present the church as holy and blameless, you know, without any sin. And so there's a sense in which all of our holiness is connected to one another and that I am, in fact, my brother's keeper, um, that I am responsible as I can to help my brothers and sisters to grow in Christ-likeness. And I think we do this in a number of ways. Um, We certainly do this as we pray for one another. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Well, one of the things we pray in the Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, that's a corporate prayer. We're praying for everyone in the church. We keep us from temptation. Deliver us from the schemes of Satan. Um, we do this by setting godly examples for one another. Um, you know, as you look around in the church, you should be looking and going, oh yeah, that's what godliness looks like at 80 years old. Or, oh, that's what godliness looks like as a grandma. Or that's what godliness looks like as a mother of teenagers or as a worker in the workplace or as, um, you know, a student at the university, because we should see these examples of holiness, not perfect, but but growing in holiness all around us. And that encourages us to what it would look like for me to do that as I become a grandma or when I'm going to university or I'm in the workplace. Um, and then I think another way that the church does this, which is, you know, um, is just in sort of the the discipline of the church or the corrective mission of the church that God has given elders, pastors over the church to look out for the flock. And when somebody in the church falls into sin, these shepherds are going to go after them. And um, not in a mean way, but in a way to bring them to holiness and to say, watch out, 
You know, you're sleeping with your boyfriend. Watch out. That's dangerous. Oh, you stopped coming to church. Watch out. That's dangerous for your soul. You know, and bringing us to holiness, even through what's not very exciting or fun, but is for the good of our souls in the church that we have other people who are looking out for sins that may be blinding us or snaring us. Or, you know, Hebrews says the sin that so easily entangles, you know, we don't, we don't think sin's going to entangle us, but it might. And in the church, you've got somebody who's going to say, watch out, let me help you get out of this because this is not good for your soul. Mm, Yeah. That's so good. We, I think we, when we hear the terms brothers and sisters in Christ, I think sometimes we don't think about what that actually means. So how does, how does viewing one another as fellow siblings in Christ help us to love the church and, and to see each other rightly? Yeah, I was just reading yesterday in Acts 9, which is right after Saul's conversion. And it's such a striking use of this brother and sister language because, so you have Saul, right? And you remember that he persecuted the church and he hated the church. And he was, you know, he was at Stephen's martyrdom and giving approval to Stephen um, being martyred. And so he had gotten these letters and he was going to go out and persecute the church and throw people in prison. And then he was converted. And so the Lord changed his heart and struck him with blindness, right? And um, and so then he's in this house and he's blind and he's praying. And the Lord appears to Ananias, who was a Christian. And the Lord says, uh, Ananias, Saul's become a Christian, so I want you to go over and talk to him. And Ananias, of course, as the rest of us would be, is like, um, Lord, we're talking about this Saul that was just persecuting the church. We're talking about the same guy. (laughs) Yes, right. And I mean, Ananias probably knew people who had been killed. I mean, this was his friends and Mm. the family members of his friends, right? Because of Saul. And the Lord says, yes, I'm talking about that, Saul. Go over there and I want you to talk to him. And so Ananias goes to the house where Saul is and the first words out of his mouth, he says, brother Saul. And that is so striking to me because I'm crying now thinking about it. But is so striking to me because he was just trusting the Lord that Saul was now his brother mm-hmm. and he was going to own that. And he was going to go into that house and yeah. he said, brother Saul. So it's not that Ananias had a warm and friendly and loving relationship with Saul. And then he starts thinking of him as his brother. Actually, he had a terrible experience of Saul and he's just trusting that the Lord has done a work in him and the Lord has changed Saul's heart and the Lord has put Saul in Ananias's family. And so Ananias is trusting the Lord and calling him his brother. And I think that's Ananias can inform then our attitude in the local church. We are so often tempted to go into the church skeptically, like, I'll wait and see who I connect with. I'll wait and see who's kind to me. I'll wait and see who seems to have similar interests to me or who cares for me. And then I'll start thinking of them as my family. And really, we need to be informed by the Lord. And the Lord says, this is your family. You know, when um, Jesus was on the cross and um, John and then Mary, his mother, were there and Jesus says to John, behold your mother. And he says to Mary, behold your son, right? I'm making you family here. And then they acted on that. John took Mary home that day and cared for her as his mother. And so it's as if the Lord from the cross is saying to us, behold your family. And we accept that in faith and we 
act on that, even if our experience, our prior experience doesn't necessarily lead us to want to feel warm and fuzzy. We trust that this is what the Lord has given us. Yeah. I love that. And if you think about it too, when you were mentioning that Jesus on the cross saying this, you know, that wasn't the first time, you know, the the disciples or his family would have heard him say, you know, this yes. is what it means to be part of my family, whoever does the will of my father, you know, and I love that story of Ananias. And I've, I've, I love you bringing that up because it is such a good picture of just taking, what does God say about this person and saying, I'm going to believe God's definition of this person over my own feelings that God says that they are part of his family, that God says they belong to him. So they're my sibling in Christ. And so you look at them through the lens of scripture, not through the lens yeah. of my feelings or my experience, which is hard. It's hard work, but, but it's what God calls us to in, in fellowship with one another. And it's such an important, important point. Um, in terms of our relationship with one another in the church, one of the things that as a organization, Women Encouraged has been wanting to focus on this year with our podcast is how do we encourage one another in our local contexts? And so in terms of this topic, how can we share these truths effectively with one another and encourage one another in our local church to love the body of Christ? A lot of it starts with how we talk about it. You know, that's probably fitting because mm, the scripture yeah. informs us by how the scripture talks about the local church. And I think for us, often how we talk about it informs our experience. And so even as we talk with one another to express things that we're thankful for about the local church, to speak well of other people in the church, even ones that we may be having conflicts with or not don't see quite eye to eye with, but to speak well of them and to give them dignity, um, right. to speak to one another. I mean, sometimes we end up going to church and we're so caught up in our own business that we we don't even speak to others. Um, as we're out in the world and we're reflecting on our on the church as we have conversations with coworkers and neighbors, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church and it was just great. I got to have some time with God's people. You know, just I think that can be even effective evangelistically when we speak well of the church rather than sort of a sigh and a rolling of the eyes or just ignoring right. it altogether as if it wasn't part of our weekend, you know, but, but this was the greatest privilege we had all weekend, you know, and mm -hmm. then that carries over as well to our, just our conversations with one another, that we encourage one another to think well of the church when we speak well of church to one another. That's so good. So good. Well, Megan, thank you very much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I'm thankful for this book. I think it's going to be a great resource. I love that there's questions in the back. So you could do this as a study with a, a small group or in a Sunday school situation. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with us about just what the Lord has been teaching you about his church? Yeah, I think the more I have an opportunity to study and think about and talk about the goodness of Christ's church, uh, the more excited it makes me to be a part of a church. And the more excited it makes me to be part of the heavenly mm -hmm. church, right? That's something we didn't even talk about in this conversation. But yeah. that the, you know, at the right? end of all things, when this world passes away and we go to be with the Lord, what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be in church um, for all eternity. 
with all of God's people from every tribe and nation and tongue and from every age. And we're going to be gathered together and it's going to be a worship service. And so I think as we learn to love the church now, it's actually preparing us for an eternity of being with the people that God loves. And that just makes me super excited. I love that. And you're right. We did not get into that. I think there's so much more to this this topic and this book that you do a great job of highlighting. But I, yeah, I think it's just, we could go on and on for all day. I think I love this conversation. Before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask every guest. Would you share something that the Lord has been using in your life to encourage you in your walk with him? Yeah. Um, Alexa, oddly enough. Um, Are you serious? That's funny. (laughs) So I do. I try to read the Bible in a year, every year. Um, I do a five-day Bible reading plan. It just seems to work better for me than a seven-day reading plan. And my smart speaker plays the Bible to me, reads the Bible to me. And it's such a blessing um, as I'm just you know, doing dishes, folding laundry, whatever I'm doing to ask my speaker to play whatever the day's text is. And sometimes I have to listen to it three and four times. You know, sometimes I get interrupted or whatever, but, but, but that's okay. You know, and just to have the word of God playing and I notice things that I didn't notice before, or when I read it, I, I hear it a little bit differently than when I'm hearing it by the ear. And so anyway, Alexa, for all of her creepy technological weirdness has just been a tool that the Lord has used to (laughs) allow me to soak in his word every day. I love that. That is probably the most unique answer I have ever gotten. And I'm absolutely dying over that. That's just so great. Thank you, Megan. Oh, it was great to be on with you, Bethany. Thanks again for being here. You can find more from Megan at sites like The Gospel Coalition or find her on social media over on Twitter at Megan Evans Hill. We'd love it if you connected with us on social media too, at Women Encouraged on Instagram and on Facebook at the Women Encouraged page. I do firmly believe that God has been so kind to his people in the midst of this situation to provide connection through Zoom, church, and other streaming services. But it's true that nothing replaces meeting face-to-face with other believers every week. And so I'm hungering and longing for that along with you. Our team has been praying for the Lord to be especially near you, assuring you of his presence and his faithfulness wherever you may be as you wait for the doors of our churches to reopen. And we'll be rejoicing right along those of you who are able to gather again this Sunday or next. May it be soon, Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere.